This morning's scripture reading will be read from Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. As always, if you're visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for such a beautiful day. It's good to see the sunshine, and for that we are very thankful to God. We are appreciative of the sunshine and the rain, and yet it's always good to see the sun when it does shine. Today, we're going to be honoring our graduates, and we want to give them our best wishes as they embark upon another phase in their lives, and we wish them nothing but the best, and our prayers are with them as they begin a new part of life. And life is sometimes broken down in stages, and this is a great stage in your life, and we wish you Godspeed. In our lesson today, we're going to be looking at Daniel, the fifth chapter. We're going to be talking about the theme, the handwriting on the wall. On September the 11th, 2001, many of us recall the terrorist attacks on the trade centers in New York City. Following their attacks, it became apparent, and it is apparent today, that you and I are going to have to live in a state of vigilance when it comes to the possibility of future attacks on American soil. In short, the handwriting is on the wall. We're going to have to deal with terrorism from now on. In Daniel chapter 5, we read about a man by the name of Belshazzar. He is described as the king, and actually he was a co-regent king with his father. He was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the great Babylonian kings of yesteryear. And in chapter 5... What we have before us is a picture of the demise of the Babylonian kingdom. And ultimately what God was saying to Belshazzar was this. The handwriting is on the wall and what you need to understand is you're done, you're finished. And so we're going to think about that for just a moment or two in our study today. First of all, I want us to look at the text itself by way of examining the text and then we're going to try to make some application to our own lives. The first thing that we read about is a great feast that had been prepared and in verse 1 the Bible says Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, 
And the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Really, this was an act of defiance on the part of Belshazzar. It was kind of an in-your-face type gesture to the God of heaven. And so in verse 5, we have some fingers that appear. And ultimately what happens is these fingers write something on the wall. So look at verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, what is going to transpire in verse 6 and following is fear on the part of Belshazzar. And the Bible is going to talk about how his knees knocked together. Sometimes we talk about somebody who is literally shaking to the point where their knees knock. Well, that's what happened when Belshazzar saw this hand appear and write on the wall. So look at verse 6. Then the king's countenance changed. His thoughts, his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Then the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers and the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Verse 10 and following, what's going to happen is Belshazzar is going to learn his fate. Daniel is going to be summoned. The queen reminds Belshazzar, that there was a man that had interpreted some dreams for his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 11, here's what the text says. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. And so ultimately, that's what's going to happen. Daniel's going to appear before Belshazzar, and he's going to interpret this vision or this handwriting that he saw upon the wall. And one of the things that, that Daniel is going to say to Belshazzar is this. Your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, was lifted up with pride, and because of that, God humbled him. And the problem with Belshazzar, like the problem with many people in our world today and previous generations, People fail to learn from the past. Belshazzar should have taken knowledge. He should have taken note 
of what had transpired in the life of his grandfather and learned from that. In verse 19, Daniel said, because of the majesty that he gave him, that is, Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, languages, trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Now listen to verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And so, here's the situation. Daniel is now going to interpret the handwriting on the wall. Verse 24. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, uparson. This is the interpretation of each word, mene. God has humbled or numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30. That night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So ultimately, we read of the demise of the Babylonian kingdom and the rise of the Medes and the Persians. But in short, God was saying to Belshazzar, the handwriting's on the wall, you're done, you're finished. It's over with for you. And that's exactly what happened. What then is the application of that to us today? How can we learn from the handwriting on the wall? Number one, I think that you and I can learn individually that the handwriting is on the wall if we are alien sinners. In other words, if we have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the handwriting's on the wall. We're lost. We're without hope. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 12, we are without hope and without God in this world. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 at verse 23, the wages of sin is death. If we have not obeyed the gospel... The handwriting is on the wall. Whether we like it or not, we can't change the fact that the handwriting says we're living in a state of doom. Now, we can do something about that. In other words, the only way to alter that course would be to obey the gospel of Christ, to put our faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God, John 8, 24. To repent of every sin, to be immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. When we do that, 
then we come into a covenant relationship with the Lord. In Ephesians 2 verse 13, Paul, having just spoken of those who were without hope and without God in this world, said, but now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are made near, brought nigh, by the blood of Christ. In other words, the blood of Christ is now availing in your lives. You're a saved, redeemed, cleansed child of God. Let me also suggest that from an individual standpoint, the handwriting is on the wall if you're an apostate saint. If you've gone back into the world, if you're not living for the Lord, the handwriting's on the wall. You're in serious trouble with the Lord. How do I know that? Because here's what Peter said. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, he said, If after we have escaped the corruptions or the pollutions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. What Peter is saying is if you've chosen to go back into the world, if because of tribulation or persecution or because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 13, if you've gone back into the world, you are in serious trouble. He's saying the handwriting is on the wall. You've got a date with destiny. You're going to stand before the God of heaven. And the Hebrew writer said that those who have gone back into the world, those who have left the Lord, he said, they've trodden underfoot the Son of God. They have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith they have been sanctified an unholy thing. They have done despite under the Spirit of grace. In short, they've got some serious trouble. The handwriting's on the wall. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a faithful child of God, you've got some serious trouble. Because ultimately, you've got to stand before God and give an account of that. A second lesson. Congregations need to see that the handwriting is on the wall if their members have left their first love. When Jesus surveyed the seven churches of Asia, one of the problems characteristic of the saints in Ephesus, he said in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. There have been a lot of people that have, that have analyzed Revelation 2 verse 4, and they've talked about what it means to leave one's first love. It might simply be that a person's love for the Lord has waned. It might be that a, love's, that a person's love for the lost has diminished. Whatever the case, one thing is true. The saints in Ephesus, they had left their first love. And the handwriting was on the wall. God was saying to that church, listen, unless you somehow turn this ship around, I'm going to put your candlestick out. Now here's a question. Where is the church at Ephesus today? Where is that church? It's in history. Something happened to those people. And then in Revelation chapter 3, we read about the church at Laodicea. The Bible speaks of the Laodiceans as being people who 
were lukewarm. In other words, they weren't hot, they weren't cold, they were tepid, they were lukewarm. And because of that, God said, I will spew you out of my mouth. They had the idea that spiritually speaking, they were okay, like Belshazzar. Do you really think that when Belshazzar made this great feast, that he thought that his kingdom was coming to a crashing end? Well, the people in Laodicea, here's what the Lord said. He said, you say because we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. In other words, they thought, spiritually speaking, they were okay. But Jesus said, but you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And God said to that church, listen, you need to, you need to turn this ship around. Please listen very carefully. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ has to be involved in the work of Almighty God. We have before us the responsibility of evangelism, edification, and benevolence. Those are the three primary works of the Lord's church. And unless we are on fire, unless we have conviction and courage to take the gospel to the lost, to engage in the work of the church. The handwriting's on the wall. God can put our candlestick out. You go back and read about the church at Laodicea. Let me just ask this question as well. Where is the church at Laodicea? Where are they today? Where will the church at Olive Branch be, spiritually speaking, 25 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, if the Lord delays His coming. Where will this congregation be? So we talk about the handwriting is on the wall. The handwriting is on the wall individually if you're not a Christian or if you are an unfaithful Christian. The handwriting is on the wall congregationally if we're not what we're supposed to be. If we're not faithful and productive in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. John 15, verse 8. God is glorified in the church. Ephesians 3, verse 21. Here is a question that you and I need to answer. Are we doing those things that bring honor and glory to Jehovah God? Thirdly, what about from a national perspective? Is it possible that the handwriting is on the wall? Think about the state of our country today. Babylon was a very powerful nation. The Babylonians had conquered the Assyrians. Assyria ultimately gave way to Babylon. And God used the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to destroy the southern kingdom to literally shell the city, to destroy the temple, to deport the people of God into captivity. Seventy years later, God would allow His people to return to their homeland. And God would use a man by the name of Cyrus to lead the charge to give the edict in about 539 
538 B.C. Well, Babylon was a powerful nation, but Babylon was going to fall. And Babylon did fall. What about our nation today? Did you know that at one time in the history of this country that we were called, and I'm going to use this term loosely, we were called, quote, unquote, a Christian nation. Did you know that sociologists today tell us that we are living in a post-Christian nation? The first time that I heard that, I shuddered. To think that our nation had moved that far, morally speaking. It's obvious that we live in a country today that has embraced any number of philosophies and thoughts contrary to the teaching of the Bible. What we have are misplaced values. I think about the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5 at verse 20 when he said, Woe to them who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What was the problem? They were confused. We live in a day and time in which many people in our society are confused. They literally do not know which way is up when it comes to right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. So, the question, is the handwriting on the wall? Will you be the judge of that? But I know this. In yesterday's paper, the Memphis Commercial Appeal, it was reported that 51% of the people living in this country are now what? They favor abortion. 51%. Since 1973, millions upon millions of innocent babies have been killed by abortion. Now let me just ask this question. Why is it not wrong for a doctor to terminate, a physician to terminate the life and of an unborn fetus in the womb even after that fetus has developed over several months of time why is that condoned in our society in our country but if a woman were to take a knife and begin stabbing herself in the stomach and if she were to kill that baby in the womb she would be charged with murder is that not the height of hypocrisy? Recently there was an article in the newspaper about a man who lived up north. He was an auto worker, 89 years of age, I believe, deported to Germany because records indicate he is responsible for being an accessory or an accomplice to 29,000 deaths during Nazi Germany. Now in no way am I minimizing what that man has done. But people are going to get all up in arms and they're going to 
they're going to want to see justice prevail. As a matter of fact, one Jewish individual said, for these people there can be no mercy. Well, we don't want any mercy for those people, but you know what? We don't think anything about an innocent child being murdered. Here's what the Bible says. God hates the hands of them that shed innocent blood. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Is the handwriting on the wall. A million and a half babies murdered every year in this country, sanctioned by the courts of our land, and nobody says a word. You tell me, is the handwriting on the wall? What about the homosexual movement? Now, I don't care how people try to, to defend it. The Bible says that those who engage in homosexual practices shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. There is no way you and I can legitimize the union of two men or two women in the state of marriage. I never in my wildest dreams believed that this country would condone same-sex marriages. You can read Matthew chapter 19 and you'll see Jesus talks about marriage between the husband and the wife, the male and the female. Nowhere did God ever sanction, did God ever condone the uniting of two individuals of the same sex. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you. It is sin. It has always been sin. It will continue to be sin as long as the word of God lasts. And the psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.89. God's word does not change. Man may change. The thinking of man may change. But the word of God is unalterable. I ask you, is the handwriting on the wall? What about the violence in our schools? What about the gangs? Look around it. Look around in our in our society. Look at look at Shelby County and the number of gangs that are permeating our schools, that are destroying our neighborhoods. Let me tell you where the problem begins and ends. The problem begins and ends with mothers and fathers that have not taken to heart what Paul said in Ephesians 6 verse 4 when he declared, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's the problem. You've got mothers and fathers that have abdicated their responsibility and children are running around doing what they want, when they want, where they want, with no kind of parental supervision. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Who's going to teach our children what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is truth and error? Are we going to leave it to the schools of our, of our society? Bear in mind, the schools teach that evolution is a way of life. In other words, that we are the products of the evolutionary chain. Well, if we've been taught that we are the descendants of an animal, Who's to say we shouldn't live like animals? The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 26, God created man in his own image. We are the products of an almighty God. When I was growing up, 
To my knowledge, we didn't have, we didn't have problems with gangs. We didn't have a problem with, pe with people bringing handguns to school and knives. If somebody brought a knife to school, it was a pocket knife. And nobody thought about taking that pocket knife out and using it on a classmate or on a teacher. We had people chew gum. We had people talk in line, break line, run in the hallway, and, and we were chasing for that. But we didn't have some of the foolishness that's going on in our schools today. Look at our judicial system. It's a joke. I'm sorry, but it is a joke. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that those who are in positions of power are not to bear the sword in vain. Why did God set forth or legislate capital punishment? Because it is a deterrent to evildoers. In our society today, we can't keep enough prison houses built to incarcerate all of the inmates. Why is that? Because there is no deterrent to their wrongdoing. If you're, gonna, if you're just going to get a slap on the wrist or probation, do you really think that that's going to curb the crime and the violence in our country? I mean, come on. Do you really think that's going to make a difference? Our judicial system is upside down. Is the handwriting on the wall? What about drug abuse? Alcoholism? in our country. The Bible says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You know what I see in our country? I see a lot of foolish people destroying their lives with drugs and alcohol. You show, you show me somebody that uses chemical substances, alcohol, I'll show you a fool. Because that's what the Bible says about them. Is the handwriting on the wall? You tell me. I'm not a prophet. Nor, as Amos said, am I the son of a prophet. But I can see the handwriting on the wall. What it suggests to me is we've got some serious troubles in our society, in our country today. What it's going to take on our part is for us to take the gospel to those in this world. The only thing that's going to save this country, the only thing that's going to turn this country around is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Washington is not going to change the course of our country. Now, if you're involved in politics, that's your business, that's fine. But I'm here to tell you that the lawmakers in Washington, they don't get it. They don't know what's going on. Listen, this is the book that's going to turn this nation around. Look at the greed and the white-collar crimes that are going on in our society today, and look at the corruption in the realm of politics. And you tell me you're going to put your faith in those people. Let me tell you, I'm going to put my faith in God and in His Word. The only thing that's going to change the course of this nation is the Word of God, is the handwriting on the wall. You tell me. 
My prayer is that as a nation of people, we'll turn around before it's too late. I hope and pray that God will continue to bless this nation for many, many years to come. But I can look back and see kingdoms that were powerful in days gone by, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Grecians, the Romans, and guess what? Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Nations rise and nations fall. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men, Daniel 4, verse 32. We need to think about that. It's the handwriting on the wall. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the handwriting is on the wall. You need to make some changes before you step out into eternity. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, you need to make some changes before it's too late. Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Acts 8, 37. Be baptized for the washing away of your sins, Acts 22, 16. If you're unfaithful, come home. We beg you today, come home to the Lord who will abundantly pardon 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?